Welcome to episode 169 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. Episode 169, you guys. That means that next week is episode 170. I'm going to be hitting episode 200, if you can believe it, sometime this summer. I mean, I could look ahead. I've got it all mapped out, but I could look ahead. But you know what? For now, let's say it's coming. Episode 200, sometime this summer, which is really exciting. Now, we've been doing this podcast for three years, and uh, usually the episode episode 200 is the marker. But you know what? Because of the a few extra episodes now and then because of fringe festivals and things like that, um, episode 200 comes after the three-year anniversary. But it's still pretty awesome. I thought it was pretty impressive when I hit 100 episodes and 200 is even more awesome. I have a few things that I'm working on that I really want to do. Uh, last time, last year, I, I convened the indie theater producers roundtable and that's something that i want to do again i'm thinking about trying to find a way to get a whole bunch of playwrights together too and have them have a conversation which is something uh really awesome but right now uh what is on my mind and something that i'm working on is something that i'm calling the introverted actors guide to networking maybe we'll add schmooze fest parties that sort of thing on there somehow but Generally, the idea is is networking, and that's something that is going to be a little bit of a different episode, but I want to try to find some solutions for those of us who are introverted actors, who maybe avoid those networking events, who maybe go to opening night and deke out as quickly as possible so that we don't have to deal with that. Maybe there are things that we're missing out that we would benefit from from being able to to, to be there and to you know, be able to stand in the room and, and, and converse with people, which, you know, we don't like to do. So uh, I'm trying to put together uh, some some ideas and, and it'll be a little bit of a different episode, but it is something that I'm working on. And so what I would like to do is ask you if you're an introverted actor and there's something you want to know, please drop me a line. Um, as usual, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at StageworthyPod. The website is StageworthyPodcast.com. And, you know, if you want to drop me a line directly, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. And I would really love to hear from you about the things that you would love to know more about in terms of, of, of working against your introversion and still being able to participate in those networking events that I think are super important to a theater career. My guest this week is Daniela Vlaskalik, one of the playwrights of Mules, presented by Theaterfront and Hit and Myth at the Streetcar Crow's Nest from February 15th until March 2nd in Toronto. So why don't we talk about, yeah, about mules? Of course, yes. What can you what can you tell me about mules? Like the, the play. <laughs> I was gonna so say. Let's talk about mules, the play. Okay. <clears throat> uh, well, I co-wrote the play with uh, my co-writer Beth Graham, and we've uh, written a number of things together. And I think the impetus behind wanting to write a play like Mules uh, was 
we were seeing a lot of plays, um, you know, when we did an early draft of this many years ago, that had all of these great roles for men, mm-hmm. you know, like High Life, yeah, yeah, Mojo, a lot of Martin McDonough, uh, <coughs> Colin uh, McPherson, Connor McPherson, mm-hmm. you've seen The Seafarer, you know, um, uh, Quentin Tarantino, can we say his yeah, name yeah. anymore? Uh, you know, a lot of his films, you know, we, we were seeing all of these and we just thought, these are great plays, great movies. Yeah. Why are there no... <laughs> <laughs> women's parts you know why are none of these characters women you know it's an excellent question and i don't know if people don't like to see women like that or we, we couldn't quite figure out what it was and we just thought oh this you know we'd, we'd see something like mojo or something like mm. high life and be like oh i wish i could be in that or or see a woman do that yeah. because um you know you see these characters who are who are, who are not necessarily good or yeah. um make poor choices or just have um challenging lives you know they make they they're desperate or whatever it is and and they make for great great stories great theater and great plays and great characters and so we thought well why don't we write something like that why don't we that was sort of that was the impetus um and of course the play really branched out into you know, as we examined um, situations where women would be uh, desperate, but would also, and I, and I don't want to digress, but would also what these those those um, plays or films have, Coen Brothers, another one, is there's also humor. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're also very funny. Mm-hmm. So it's trying, so we thought, you know, and, and I think putting those things together is really yeah. what we wanted to do, is make... Uh, a play with strong female characters, desperate situations, and examining all the things that women talk about, you know, and yeah. and, and not just women, men too, but, you know, friendship, mm-hmm. um, motherhood, um, being, um, uh, you know, um, I guess marginalized or being um, sexualized or, yeah. you know, all these different things that, that women sometimes deal with or oftentimes deal yeah. with. And, and create a situation where mm. they try and take back some power and yeah. and what happens. I mean, for anybody who's, who's, who's not quite getting it from, from, from this, that we're not talking about like the animal meals. We're talking about like... Drug runners. Drug, drug mules. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Drug yeah. mules. And it's funny because as you were talking about, you know, the fact that these movies that you were, that, that sort of were the inspiration and these plays, they're about people behaving badly, but also humor. I think... In our popular culture, when we put women in those situations, we don't make them funny. It's like, oh, there's a woman in this. It's got to be very serious yes. about how this person got there, and we can't, we can't, we can't inject humor into it. That's right. Which is the separation, I think, between the when we tend to tell stories about women doing that and when men do that. That's right. I think it's, I think it's taking something back to put the humor in it. I, I think so. Yeah. I, I, I think so. I hope so. I mean, we um, we like we, we always try and, and put humor, I think, in anything that yeah. we write. And um, it's just rife. You know, a play mm-hmm. about drug runners mm-hmm. is rife for comedy. You wouldn't think so, especially mules. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things <laughs> that happen, body functions, sure. all of that stuff. And, you know, why wouldn't we examine that yeah. and just go all the way and, and and see what happens? You know, put these two women in a bathroom 
in an airport bathroom mm-hmm. and let them go and let them and let them see what happens. And that's essentially what we did was we, you yeah. know. Is there, is there a difficulty when you put someone in an airport bathroom? Mm-hmm. Is there a difficulty in how you keep them in that place? Because mm-hmm. people usually only spend a certain amount of time in a washroom <laughs> and you've got to fill like an hour and a half. So how do you, how do you, do, do you have to manipulate ways to, that they can't leave? What is, well, so one of the characters has a plan. So there is a, a, a definitely a plan. Mm. So there is an intention to stay in the bathroom. Mm. And I think it's a lot more about convincing the other one to okay. stay in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, th- as in all sort of capers or plots or, or heist or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call them, they're not always necessarily the best plans. They're not no. always well thought out plans. But people make plans and make crazy choices and, you know, bank robbers have a history of yeah. it, drug runners. They put themselves yeah. in crazy situations and sometimes because they're desperate or whatever yeah. the situation is. And sometimes they get away with it and sometimes they don't. But it's a risk that you take. Aren't half-assed capers, like, <laughs> the most fun to see, like, how is this going to fall apart and then how are they going to pull it back together? Yes, like, or, yeah. or will they pull it back together? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, I think there's all of all of that. That's also involved. And so I think, you know, there's so many elements and inspiration that we drew from uh, for this play. And then, of course, as when you write anything, it it takes on a life of its own. Um, And so, you know, we we really, um, I think, just let it go. You know, once we allowed ourselves to not put any parameters and and allowed ourselves to let it be funny Mm -hmm. and as often... Uh, in desperate situations, things are funny and allow there to be that humor. It really just kind of took off. Was there, you said allow yourself to be funny. Was there, was that a difficult thing to come to? Were you, did you find it hard to let it be funny or? No, I think we intended it to be funny. I mean, you know, we'll see. (laughs) Hopefully it's funny. Um, But as you say, uh, it's, feels like we were breaking the norm because sure. if you think if you're going to write a play about women who are drug runners or you're going to write a play about women who are um, exotic dancers yeah, or yeah. whatever they are or single moms that it's going to be you know it's got to have this element of seriousness mm-hmm. to it yeah. and it's like once we decided that it didn't have to have that uh-huh. then it just felt freeing really yeah. more than anything else yeah huh. <coughs> excuse me um okay. When, how long, what was the pro? like, how long did it take to write this? Well, it's kind of a long, it's kind of a long story. We wrote, um, like, a, a, a version of it, a brief version of it many, many years ago, probably, like, 13 years ago. Um, it was, like, just experimental. We mm. were playing around. Um, we, you know, we, do, we did a kind of a workshop production of it, and then we shelved it. Mm-hmm. Um, for many, many years. And then we came back to it a few years ago. We thought, you know, we should look at that play again. We should pull it, pull it off the shelf, pull it out of the drawer, you know, all those things that you do. And, uh, you know, brush it off and, and look at it again. And, yeah. you know, of course, so much of the world had changed uh, in that time. Facebook yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> became a major thing. Uh, cell phones, uh, people, you know, became much more uh, yeah, yeah. prevalent. And, you know, and, and because the play also has a uh, has an element of friendship about it, the mm. nature of friendship has changed yeah. because of social media, because of friend, uh, because of Facebook, because of self, you know, all, a lot of those things have changed. So 
we found that the play maybe fit more now and was mm. more relevant now than it was back then. Mm. I don't know. I think at, back then when we were first writing it, we our, our, we weren't our ideas weren't fully formed. We had an idea about it, and we yeah. tried to kind of put it out on paper and. And then kind of worked. It kind of didn't, you know. And yeah. so then we, I think we needed to just sit with it for a well, while. Well, sure. I mean, an idea. There's one thing to have an idea <laughs> at the beginning, but if you let it sit for a while, it becomes. It can really sort of grow and get and get a little deeper. Yeah, and I think <clears throat> that's that's. Uh, and I think that's been with a lot of the writing that we've done. It feels like we've done a lot of sort of early versions, yeah. um, and then we've sort of let it sit for a long time. And then we've come back to it yeah. with fresh when eyes. When you came back to it, how mm-hmm. long did it take for you to take what you had and and turn it into what you have now? Probably, um, I mean, not writing constantly, yeah. but probably a couple of years. Okay, okay. You yeah. know, with intense blocks of writing over that time. Mm-hmm. So, um, and because we write, um, Beth lives in Edmonton and mm-hmm. I live in Toronto, so a lot of our writing is done over Skype. Uh, sharing a document that's kind of how we do it oh okay so you like write together not we like write i write part and then you nope. write part we write okay. together side <clears throat> how does that side work? by side like it, aside from just um over a skype with a document like how do you like what does that process look like in terms of like how you deal with writing with someone um I don't know. We, I think you sort of, you start to get into each other's. That's done. Shall I wait till that's done? No, we'll just, just talk over it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I find that sometimes you start to, sh- we, we have this joke where we start to share one brain. Mm. Because once you're in the zone, I mean, the most challenging part is, is, is getting that first draft out or the yeah. first sort of um, shape of it. And then once you have that and you're both, and that's just a lot of back and forth, a lot of like, you know, what should happen now? What should happen now? You know, just a lot of talking it out. And once we kind of get that shape laid out, then we both are on the same page, Mm -hmm. literally and figuratively. And so you you start to know where it needs to go. And we talk a lot about the characters and Mm -hmm. what their journeys are. And so we literally just go, we just go back and Mm -hmm. forth. And we you have to be. Uh, very open. Yeah. Ultimately, yeah. you have to sort of say, even if, you know, she makes a suggestion or I know sometimes I make a suggestion and you're just thinking, well, that is not a good suggestion. And you just go, okay, yeah, let's let's just put it in. And then after you come back, you're like, oh, actually, that works really well. You know, because sometimes your first impulse is to say no. It often yes. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you're co-writing with someone, you have to sort of train yourself. And I think it's a, it's a challenge. It's a, it's, a, it's a great relationship if you find someone yeah. that you can do that with. But I know with a lot of people who want to co-write, the biggest challenge they have is finding that person that they can write with. I think it's um, that finding that person, I think, is the most challenging part where you just get on the same brainwave. I mean, even just the ability to say yes to an idea that isn't yours Mm -hmm. can be a difficult thing. Yes. The, the, the. The tendency is my idea is obviously the better one. <laughs> and when somebody else suggests something that isn't quite in line with like what you're thinking, it's very difficult to say to say yes to that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but obviously it's very freeing. It is. And it's you. it's about trust. Yeah. Ultimately, you have to really trust your 
writing partner, mm-hmm. and um, obviously I, I trust Beth, and I'm, I guess she trusts me. So you just trust that you're both going to uh, that it's the two of you, uh, but the greater thing is the play, yeah, and that you're both serving the play ultimately. Um, so I think that's it's it's a process. It's definitely yeah. a process. Also, saying yes to something now doesn't mean that it can't. Like, if it doesn't work, you'll both realize it later. Absolutely. You know. That's happened you, many times. Yeah. If you give it to a group of actors to read as a, as a you know, out loud, you will very quickly realize what works and what doesn't. Oh, yeah. And you'll definitely go. And, and, and you'll be surprised. You'll think, oh, I never thought that would work. Yeah. And you're like, that's one of my favorite moments of the play now. Yeah. You know, so yeah, there's, yeah. because you're, it, it is very surprising when you, when it makes that transition and then people yeah. bring interpretations or... You see things you thought, oh, I never, I never read it that way, yeah. and they're doing something that's elevating, just taking it to another level. That's what, I mean. I always find when I'm when I'm writing, one of the most important things is to give it to an act to a group of actors yeah. and say, please sit down and read this. I need to hear it. Mm-hmm. You know, and you learn so much hearing mm-hmm. other people read what you put down. Um, that it's for me it's like one of the most important stages mm-hmm. in a writing process and both Beth and I are both actors mm-hmm. and so typically we've always written for ourselves yes. uh, and so of course when you write something you know what you have in mind mm-hmm. and how you're going to do it and even if the writing doesn't work you you, you make it work because you're yeah. both performing it together um, and so this of course is a is a different process but um, I think because we're actors writing um, we just have a really clear sense of um and both have worked a lot on new canadian plays Mm -hmm. um so i've I've certainly been in that process uh on both sides as an actor and as a writer and as both Mm -hmm. and so you you figure out pretty quickly that workshop process that trying stuff out process i mean there's even sections of the play where we'll be like let's try it like let's go look at it we'll know we'll know pretty quickly in the room and then you also have to have that challenge of going okay is it the writing or are they just not quite there yet mm-hmm. so you also have to find times when you just have to let them trust the writing yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, a lot yeah, of trust no. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that is one of the things is because sometimes <laughs> you can hear something and and not like not trust that the actor will get there yeah but i mean if the playwright wasn't in the room the actor would have to find a way to get there yeah right and we did leave. I think we were there for the first few days, you know, just to answer any questions. And we did do some rewrites, definitely. Yeah. And then, you know, you just get to that point where you're like, yeah, it's time for us to just go. Yeah. And let them struggle through it and figure it out. Was that a difficult thing to do, though? Like, to know that this is, you know, it's your baby. Yeah. There's a, at a certain point, you have to be able to let go of it. But it, it's not easy to send your child off to school. <laughs> you know? Um, no, I don't. I don't have children, no, so I guess but, this is the closest uh, thing to yeah. it. Uh, but it is challenging. It is challenging. Mm-hmm. But you can't. You know, it's also part of the reason that neither of us have t- really taken on the th- uh, concept of directing our own mm-hmm. work because I think when it's the when it works the best is when you can hand it over. Yeah. It's hard. It's a I, you know. It's definitely, um, and I think being absent is that probably the best way to do it yes, because it's very yeah. hard to sit in the room going well just do it faster or say yeah. it like this or if you just go over there it'll work or mm-hmm. you know but yeah. then they don't own it no and so it's no. it's not helpful ultimately at the end yeah. of the day <laughs> As the, it, you, it's almost disruptive for you to like to be in the room and even if you don't say the things there's a 
you're 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 having an impulse and, and that's <laughs> distracting for everyone. Yes, yeah. yes. And they need the time to yeah. to discover. They're gonna they have to own it ultimately and the mm. best way is if they make all the discoveries for yeah. themselves yeah. and some and hopefully the ideally they make discoveries that you hadn't even yeah. thought of and they yeah, just yeah. take it to another level. I think that's the best when that happens, you know, you're in really good hands. Yeah. Um how did the play come to theater front? Uh, well, I've known Vicki Anderson for quite a while. I worked on a play called The Orange Dot um, a couple seasons ago that she directed, um, starring with myself and Sean Doyle. And I'd known her before that as well. And, you know, she's familiar with a lot of my writing and, and our writing. And we were trying to find someone that might want to look at the play again. Right. And I had been talking to her about the play, just casually, in a casual manner, and she just said, well, can I can I read it? I'd like yeah. to read it. So I said, sure. And so sent it off to her and didn't hear anything. So I thought, well, you know, <laughs> as that, that happens. <laughs> and I know she talked to uh, Dylan Trowbridge, who's the associate, mm-hmm. and, you know, because... No, she's. I think she was like, "Well, we're friends, so I don't know if I really like this or if I'm biased because we're friends." You know, there's that, all that that happens. And uh, and Dylan felt very passionate about the play as well, and so um, they did a like a salon. Theaterfront does these salons where Uh they do a reading of the play and to kind of gauge a a reaction. So we did a salon in April, and it was a a stage reading in a in a little uh, coffee shop, and it went over really well. And she got in touch and said we want to produce it. Nice. So she nice. um, contacted Hit and Myth, which is another uh, indi- kind of a, a, a independent producer, and asked if uh, they would like to come on board to co-produce. And uh, they really liked the play as well, and they agreed. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So that's kind of how it happened. Awesome. <laughs> so one of the things I always like to talk about is is people's um, <clears throat> theater origin stories, like mm. how. Did you find this calling? Okay. What 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 was it that brought you to the theater life? Well, do remember, like, do you do you remember <laughs> when you first encountered theater as a child, or how you came to this at all? Well, it's kind of an I don't know if it's an odd story. I'm sure it's similar for a lot of people. But um, my parents uh, were immigrants. I'm first generation Canadian, and there, as far as I know. There is no history of anybody in my family that were really interested in the arts. Mm. They grew up in a communist country. And um, apparently my uncle, I think, had some ideas or fantasies about being an actor. Mm -hmm. But of course, it's very, you know, would have been very different at the time. And um, but for some reason, and I don't know where this idea came from, I knew at like five or six years old that I wanted to be an actor. That I wanted Dude, to be have an you art. seen something? And I've ne- my parents never took huh. me to the theater. It was not par- mm. part of our um, life growing mm. up. I grew up in Thunder Bay. Mm. Um, and so they cannot... They were they were com- they were completely mystified, and they're I think they still might be <laughs> as to where I got this idea. And I, the only thing I can think of is that it must have been at school. It must have been in kindergarten yeah. or something like that. We must have had a day where we did plays or read plays. Or I think every one of my family members has a different version of of when I yeah. announced that I was going to be an actor. Um, 
but it was just something that I knew. And, and it's it's a, it's a it's a complete mystery. Yeah. Still, mm. I mean, I haven't had that moment. I was like, ah, oh, that was the day. Um, no. But there, but it's it came from an unknown place. There are people that I've spoken <laughs> to people who can remember the moment, and I've, they I've known remember. people who are just like, I don't know, I just knew. Yeah, you know, because I think for some of us, it might have been a moment in. I think for me, I remember there was one year in, in kindergarten where this troop of actors came through and they put on a show and then they did a workshop with people after and I think that might have been it for me. It might have been. Know. Well, that's the thing, right? Is is it might have been something like that. Yeah. But as I said, I was, you know, when I started school, I was, I mean, I was born in Canada, but I was, my parents didn't speak English, so I was mm. very ESL when yeah. I started school. Um, and so it must have been a, um, something like that. That's all yeah. I can think of, that mm. it must have been something that I saw uh, maybe something at school or an older class did something, and I just was hooked. And it's but it's <laughs> it's one thing to go from from being uh, a child of four or five and saying that you want to be an actor to uh, graduating from school and mm-hmm. deciding that that's wanted what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people start out quite young, saying they want to be in yes. theater, and somehow the education system or the world or whatever just makes them decide that's not for them. Yeah. So for you, how did you hold on to it? What, at what point was it going, did when, when you were older, know that it was going to be your career? Um, I don't know if I ever knew for sure. Mm. I wanted it to be my career, mm. but I was very um, subversive about it. Um, I knew that my family was not on board. And so it was not something that I talked about mm-hmm. with them because uh, it would just cause strife. <laughs> so I didn't talk about it. Um, but I, you know, I took all the drama classes at school, um, all that, all the things that you mm-hmm. do, you know, in high school. And and, um, and then once I, I graduated uh, from high school, I started auditioning or before I graduated for theater schools. And um, I, I went to a a two-year college, uh, Douglas College in um, New Westminster had a two-year acting program. And I just thought, I didn't tell anyone. I just prepared and I went and I did my audition and I got in. And so I just announced to my parents that I was going to Douglas College for, for theater. How did they take that? Um... I don't. I think they just thought I would just it would I would get over it. It would go away. I mean, they didn't really take it too seriously. They took it a lot more seriously uh-huh. when after two years, uh-huh. um, then I it, which was a great introductory program, I would uh-huh. say. But I knew what I knew after that two year program was that I was very serious about it because um, you know I started when I was seventeen or eighteen. Yeah. you know, in col- oh, you go sure, to college, yeah. and so, um, so that I think that. Um, Doing that two-year program made me realize that that's when I said, no, I'm definitely doing this. Mm. And then I auditioned again for more serious theater schools. Um, and I went to the U of A. Okay. Uh, I did the Bachelor of Fine Arts there, uh, which was a very tough school to get into at the time. I don't know if it still is. It was a conservatory program. And that was when they were really getting nervous. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but they were very, it was it was difficult, not difficult, but I think um, because I was the first person in my father's family to go to university, um, they were they were happy I was going to university. I think that was a big deal. Right. So they sort of relented and then they, you know, but I think they still believe that perhaps 
one day I'll phone and say, okay. Do you, do you think they might still be holding <laughs> on to that? That one day you'll be like, listen, I've given up this theater thing. I'm going to yeah. do a respectable I've only job. been a professional actor for 20 years now, yeah. but <laughs> a writer, but today's the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think... You know, I hung on to it, but as I said, I was really subversive about it. I wasn't, I did, you know, I wasn't like, you know, having huge arguments and fights about it. I just thought, I'm just going to quietly do this, and if I get in, then I'll go, you know. It's actually a really smart way to do with favorites <laughs> who might be resistant to going to theater. I'm like, kids, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, I would recommend it. <laughs> we recommend, don't tell anybody until you get into the school. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I meet so many people now who are who or who are even you know my age or, mm-hmm. or younger and their parents are so supportive and so excited about them going to the arts and maybe it's just the people that i meet or, or aren't resistant there's, there's but, two kinds of parents yeah there's parents who are super supportive and encourage their children to go into the arts and there are parents who do not yeah there's no in between there isn't any in between i think, <laughs> I think you I might think be right I think that 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 you know the parents tend to do one or the other and yeah how the kids react to that sort of depends on where they end up yeah i think you're absolutely right when did you start writing for theater i started writing uh so so i went to u of a and how i met beth graham was she was in my class Mm -hmm. at theater school so we spent three years together and at the end of that and uh because u of a at the time was very much a conservatory program so a lot of focus on classics Mm -hmm. a lot of focus Mm -hmm. on obviously shakespeare and Shaw and ballet and you know all those things that you do at a conservatory program and there was very little focus on new work mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but everything that we were seeing in our community was all new Canadian work mm-hmm. um, and so it was this really interesting time mm-hmm. because we were being so felt like we were being trained for one thing but when we looked out into what was happening, mm-hmm. um, especially with something like the Edmonton Fringe, mm-hmm. which is like the largest fringe in North America, and so much new work yeah. constantly, yeah. Um, Catalyst Theater, which is now a big, huge, you know, making brand, every theater company yeah. was doing new work, and that's what we were seeing. So we kind of felt unprepared or sort of a little bit like well how are we going to do this you know we we weren't having classes and how do you workshop a new play and how do you write a new play or how do you create a new play i think that that's very a very new question yes i don't think that 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 school was was unique at that time okay most schools um have only just started to talk about how you create a new play how you were like how do you work with a new play mm-hmm. most conservatory programs have always been like we're going to do your Shakespeare we're yep. going to do your Shaw and then when you get her into the world you're ready for everything <laughs> and there hasn't been the question of like <clears throat> how do you develop a new play and how do you produce a new play and how do you do all this stuff it's only relatively recently that that question is being answered yes so um, I mean I'll, I'll take your word for it so we what happened was um, we had a brand new as on our final year, we had a brand new professor, Charlie Tomlinson, who started um, teaching at the U of A, uh-huh. and he had had a huge history. And I think that was their attempt to bring in somebody who had had a lot of history in working on new play okay. development and creating new work. Um, he'd worked a lot with Codco, um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Andy Jones, um, you know, just a lot of new play development. He'd uh-huh. been in Toronto for a while, and so. We were fascinated. We didn't have him as a, we, we, he directed us in a play, yeah. 
but we didn't have him as a professor. But we'd go and watch the things he was doing with the first and second years. We thought, wow, like he was creating, he was encouraging to create new work. It was yeah, a new yeah. play creation course. Mm. So we met with him, and we, you know, and we thought we said, you know, we want to write it. We want to write a play, right? Mm. This kind of, um, you know, right out of theater school. And he was like, okay, great. He's like, well, if you want to write a play, I'll direct it. Mm. So we'll, we were like, okay, let's get a fringe spot. You know, all the things. Yeah, yeah, and at that yeah. time, it seemed, I mean, I guess it still is if you want to do a fringe show and things like that. Just the opportunities are still there. Yeah. And so we thought, we just embarked on this crazy journey. And then he ended up coming on as a co-writer, and um, which was really exciting. And we went through this whole process. Mm. And just, you know, as you do with anything like that, you beg, borrow, and steal yep. props and <laughs> things. And ask your friends to do lights and all this stuff. And we ended up uh, creating this um, version of what is now the Drowning Girls. Um, And so we did a version of that and that became very popular. And again, with that play, we performed it. And then, you know, several years later, we rewrote it. And Mm -hmm. now that play has a very long life and continues to be produced on its own without us after we toured it. (laughs) I think it's it's great that you are willing to revisit things because I think some people get it into their heads that once it's performed, it's done. There's like, that's the end of it. Whereas you learn so much from a performance that you can take all of that and, and, Yes. And make the play better. Well, our attitude was always that these were obviously fringe, whatever medium you can find, that they were work. We always called them workshop productions Mm. because they really were. You learned so much. They weren't the finished product. Ideally, that and everything you learned would then get to move into um, a bigger theater that had a proper set designer and costume designer. You'd have more time with the writing. and, And I feel like maybe the fringe used to be that. Um, at that time, or it felt like it used to be that, certainly the one in Edmonton did. I think a lot of them did used to feel like that. That they were more <clears throat> looking for the final product. Yes. There's a lot more expectation on fringe shows now to be done. There's very few fringes that I've been to where they still are like, it can be rough. Yeah. You know, and most of them, most of them are not. Yeah, and so, which I think is too bad, because it's such a great way to experiment, you know, it's such a great way for new work, I think, to go, okay, this is like a 75-minute version, 55-minute version, we're going to throw everything at this, we're going to throw a bathtub in, you know, we're going to piecemeal things together, we're going to experiment, it's still a show, like, I'm not saying they're watching a a rehearsal, there's still all the elements, there's costumes, and and it's a piece, but then you go, you're able to go after five, whatever you get, four, sometimes five, sometimes six, if you're lucky, seven performances, and you're, you kind of go, okay, like, let's go back, what worked, what didn't work, I would change this, I would add a character, I would take Mm. two characters away, whatever, you know, but there just doesn't seem to be that that next. I think there have been level. too many fringe successes. <laughs> Maybe that's people what are, it is. Are, have gone on to massive success, and so that's what people are looking for. Is like, ah, oh, now the fringe is where we find these yeah. massive successes, rather than where we find like new rough gems. Yeah, which I think is too bad. I mean, it's great in some ways, uh-huh. uh, but then in some ways, I think, okay, well, this is it's unfortunate because. Really, it's so rough, right? Mm. Oftentimes, you're throwing everything in there. You're doing it for nothing. Yeah. Like, literally, zero dollars. And then, um, 
and then I guess if you if you're successful with that, then somebody picks it up and and mm-hmm. you get to then maybe make five dollars. But <laughs> <laughs> but there isn't that investment in going. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Like I, you know. Yeah. Um, but then you also have to be willing, I think, as the creator or the writer, to take it apart and put it back together yeah. again. And I think some yeah. people are like, "No, I'm done. I'm good. Yeah, I wrote absolutely. that. I'm finished. I'm moving yeah. on to my next thing." But there's so much more that you could learn from it. Yeah. yeah, and I think unfortunately the Canadian play already has such a short lifespan. Oh, it gets one. Yeah. If you're lucky, it gets one production. You know, a premiere. Yeah, maybe it'll get two, and then it disappears. And I just think that's terrible. Well, I think it, I think it is, but I think that, that it's because a lot of theaters want just, they just want their premiere. Yeah, they want the world. Premiere. They don't want the world premiere, and they want the world premiere, and then it's then they're done. Yeah. Had you? seen a fringe festival before you found yourself in Edmonton? Uh, I got yes, I'd gone to ones in Vancouver before. Okay. Um not to that extent. I mean, yeah, if you've been to the Edmonton I have. It's 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 <laughs> if you if you if you only know smaller fringes. Yeah. Like Toronto or Vancouver or, you know, even smaller than that, then Winnipeg and Edmonton oh. are uh I don't even know what the word is. They are startling. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and very exciting. And you oh, really yeah. feel like you're a part of some... I mean, I've never been to the Edinburgh Fringe. No. Uh, so I, I understand it's similar to that in the sense of... I mean, Edinburgh is obviously much bigger. Yeah. But same kind of vibe. Same kind yeah. of... You're really a part of something enormous. Yeah. It's not just a thing that's happening on the fringe. It's an actual... Yeah. The main event. Well, it's because in, in, in Winnipeg and Edmonton, like... They're the only places I've been where, you know, you go to a restaurant. It's like, oh, what, what brings you? What brings you to to the city? And you say, I'm in a fringe, and somebody's like, what's your show? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, so. Whereas true. everywhere else, say, oh, I'm in the fringe. You're like, what is that? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. You know. Yeah, it's a very different vibe. Yeah. So I don't know. I I uh, I I I certainly I don't I haven't really I don't haven't done a fringe you know in many many years. But I think, as I say, they're different now. And yeah. what I think what we use them for, I don't think people, as you say, really are looking for that anymore. So, uh, you know, we've taken these early works that mm. were workshops, really, and gone, well, let's go back. You yeah. know, let's go back. These were yeah. good ideas. These were good good themes, good good plays, good yeah. parts. I wonder what, like, what is the venue for, for doing that now? If, if not Fringe, then I guess it's self-production Sometimes I don't even know anymore. I don't know because, you know, I think at a fringe festival, you're willing to go and see three or four shows a day, right? You just, you just dive in. It's not a huge, you're not, you're not getting a baby, you know, it's a different kind of investment, right? Also like the audience is ready to see things. That's right. at other times of year, you've almost got to beg them. Just coming. It's like it's only, yeah. it's only like an hour and a half. It's yeah. Like, just come, please. You just know? come, come. So yeah. I think the whole tone is is very different, you mm-hmm. know. And so I don't know if self-producing you would have that. No. I think it would be difficult because it's hard to get people to come out again. You yeah. know, and they don't want to see something in progress. So I'm I'm not sure. I don't know if we've we've skipped over that part, and I'm not sure if there's a way to bring if it. We have. I think it's too bad. Yeah, and I don't know if there's a way to bring it back. Yeah. I'm not really sure. I don't know. Um. With mules mm-hmm. having been, it's it's seen a couple of lives. Mm-hmm. Um, between the uh, the salon uh, staged reading mm-hmm. and now, mm-hmm. um, have there been changes? Are you, have there are you are you 
is it very different? Like there was the first version and yeah. there was a salon version and yeah. there was this version. Have there, has it grown since the salon? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think absolutely. And uh, I mean, I think the main out theme is there. The main outline is there. Mm-hmm. I think um, we've developed one of the characters a lot more. And there's, I mean, there's always changes. I mean, I we I went to see a run today, and Beth mm-hmm. watched on Skype, and just on our way over here, we were talking about making a couple of adjustments here and there. Yeah. Um, I know as long as I think the actors are willing to accept some adjustments for, then we'll we'll continue to make them. Mm-hmm. Um, without screwing them up, <laughs> and they're and they're making, minor are things. Are you making you're making big ones, or you're just making like little lines? Just little ones. Like we made some ma- uh, bigger ones. Um, I think in that first week mm-hmm. when we were kind mm-hmm. of doing when we were doing table work and and just examining uh, big questions, and we did some more work at the beginning of January. Mm-hmm. We spent three days, solid days, with play, and after the after we had. You know, and after the mm-hmm. salon, because things come up and questions yeah. come up, and we're able to take it apart and look at moments and look at characters through lines and the journey of the of the play. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, I think I think certainly the play is uh, in a good place, and we're we're just really excited. I mean, we've got an amazing team, an mm-hmm. unbelievable team of people. So, when you're, um, you know, you're making those big changes early on. Mm-hmm. How are you? How are you? Like, what method do you use? I'm just formulating this. I'm saying because you mentioned about how sometimes you're trying to figure out, like, do I change this or do I let them figure it out? Mm -hmm. How do you know that this needs to be changed and it might not be something they can figure out, or are you just taking a gamble? Um, I think sometimes it's obvious. Mm. Like sometimes you go, oh yeah, I never saw that. You know, it's sort Mm. of like if you look at a picture for a long time and you you never noticed that in the corner there's a giant bird or something yeah, you know you, yeah. you've heard the play or you've read it together so many times yes. and suddenly somebody asks you a question you're like wow how did we miss that inconsistency mm-hmm. uh, so sometimes it's obvious um sometimes uh i mean obviously we have a clear idea of how the play um should go or needs mm-hmm. to go we want it to go yeah and so i don't think we're willing to change anything that's going to really if if, if people are suggesting things that's like well that's not this story right what you're yeah. suggesting is maybe a different play right. or a different story or yes. maybe a different character. Yeah. So um, I think that's the best way to gauge it. If, if it feels like the idea or the suggestion is really in tune with the play and really what the play is saying or the characters are saying, then uh, certainly we'll consider it. Um, right. But if it feels like, okay, you're maybe you're mm. you just haven't quite, you're not quite figuring out your journey yet or you're not sure on the play then we'll be a little more resistant we're not saying no forever if it keeps coming up we might examine it again but that's sort of the gauge i think Mm. that we use it's a good it's a good gauge because sometimes people make suggestions because they want the play to be something that it's not no that's very true (laughs) and you're like well we didn't write that play we wrote this play that's always Whenever I've been at a at a theater talkback, I'm always like, if they don't have an agenda, this could go. This just turns into like a bunch of people saying what they think it should have been. Yes, you know. Whereas we should be at, like ask the audience questions, things like that. But that's like yeah. I totally get. I totally get what you're saying. Um, what have What have you learned about the play? Since they started rehearsing, is there any is there a lesson about it that 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 was not apparent to you before this production started working? Um, I think the biggest thing I've learned so far is that 
um, there's a lot of possibilities in the play. It's mm. a lot of things I, uh, a lot of discoveries that they've made that are really exciting that mm. I didn't see. And I think that's what's really exciting about what's happening right now is that, um, you know, you get locked into an idea yeah. or a way or which is also why it was good for us to leave the room when we yeah. did. Mm. And I think what they're doing and the direct, I mean, it's still very much the play we wrote, um, but they're just finding all of these really exciting new things mm. and directions mm. um, that um, and humor that we that we didn't even know was in there. So it's mm. surprising me. I have two more questions yeah, about absolutely. the play for you. Um, and this is sort of, you can answer one or one of one or both of them. <laughs> okay. um, what are you most looking forward to mm-hmm. about this play? And what scares you the most or what scares you the most about this play in its production? Oh. Um, I think what I'm looking forward to the most is actually to see it with an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also scares me the most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because it's, I think we're not, I mean, I'm, I am of the belief and I think most people are that the audience is the final piece. Absolutely. And are. so, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm just so fascinated just to see how it's going to go where, you know, will they, will all those questions, will they laugh? Will they cry? Will they get on the ride? You know, and, and how will they react and, Mm -hmm. and all of that. And it's also the most terrifying part of, of adding the audience because you, you live with it so long in this bubble, you know, and um, and I think, you know, I'm always a huge fan of pre, I mean, we're not, I don't, I don't, we're not doing a preview. I think we're doing an invited dresser, but you know, that first time, whatever that is, whether yeah. it's preview or opening night or whatever that aud- you first get that first significant audience. Yeah. I don't mean like two or three people mm-hmm. and you suddenly hear everything for the, you hear every yeah. line for the mm-hmm. first time you hear, yeah. feel every moment for the first time and you see them or you're feeling it. And yeah. so that's, I think for me, my favorite part of the process well two or three people is not like an audience that's a couple of people watching. yeah <laughs> like a large audience for me anytime i've created a new show mm-hmm. there's this the show will start and there's like this anxiety mm-hmm. until that first laugh like if i don't hear like this is where we think the first laugh is yeah and if this doesn't happen we're a way off what we think <laughs> and you're just sort of like waiting for that first reaction and once yeah. you got it you're like okay Oh yeah, we're gonna be fine. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think that's definitely what I'm the most excited about, mm-hmm. and what I'm the most nervous about. Makes and for sense. for friends yeah. too. You know, oh, I have sure. so many friends asking about the play and how is it going, and mm-hmm. you're just like, it's going great. But mm-hmm. you know, come see it. <laughs> you just kind of go, <laughs> and then you'll know. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's it's that experience. Um. So uh, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Beth sort of like Skyping in to rehearsals and things like yeah. that. Is this how your relationship mostly sort of sits right now is, is through a screen or like both through watching rehearsals and you're working together? Um, yeah, I think a lot of our, I mean, we, we, she was here for the first week of rehearsal okay, in Toronto. Great. So she was in the room and she's coming back. So she'll uh-huh. be back yes. uh, next week. 
And we, yeah, we try and find pockets of time to mm-hmm. write together. So mm-hmm. at the beginning of January, we had, you know, four or five days together. Um, mm-hmm. I was in Calgary. She came down. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try and find writers yeah. retreats or just time to visit because we're also friends. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it is done over, is done over the screen, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. a lot of the, because it's, you know, you, it's easier that way. You can find two or three hours mm-hmm. in a day, even yeah. with the time change. And you just block it out and you get into a into the zone. And, and now that we've worked together for so many years, um, <laughs> we just get into, we can get into the rhythm really yeah. quickly hmm. um, of, of the writing rhythm, I guess. It's good. Does, does working with a partner help with writer's block? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It does. Yeah, it does. It really helps. Mm. I mean, this, I mean, don't get me wrong. There will be days where, you know, we're supposed to be having a three hour writing session and we spend about two hours just gossiping and goofing off. And I'm like, that's, that's sort of the right, the version of writer's block Okay, is you just, um, you just go, we just end up procrastinating and having a visit (laughs) instead. Uh, but, but it's, it's, it's far less, um, but I would say the first draft of anything is always incredibly challenging with a writing partner or, you know, just that first birthing of the, just to get it out on the page. And then after that is what I call the fun part is because then you just go back and you're revising and new ideas are coming. But, nice. Yeah. Nice. It's been great. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's been great to talk to you. This has been a Homebody Productions production.